0: Twelve years ago in May, Glenn and Kathy Galay came to Tuckwilla to wine and dine, Sue and I, and, <laughs> and to convince us to uh, come to Ferndale to serve the Lord. And uh, I'm thankful for that dinner and thankful for the years that God has given us to serve together. Um, first time I met Glenn, he was in a choir, a mass choir thing that we did in the Northwest, and I just met him briefly there. But uh, Glenn has been in, in a church 25, 30 years. How long have you guys been here? I know you were here for a while and then gone for a while and then back because you went to school or something, but how many years have you been a member of the church? Since 78, Since 78 uh, with a little hiatus to go to uh, go to accounting school. Glenn was our treasurer, our wanna commander. He sang in the choir. He helped lead worship. He was a deacon uh, in the era before we had elders as the leadership of the church. He was one of the men nominated to be an elder in our first election of elders. And almost three years ago at the end of December, uh, Glenn made an appointment for him and Kathy to come see me And uh, when they came in, they came in with sad faces and heads hung low. And uh, Glenn confessed that he had been embezzling money from the government agency that he worked for. Uh, Nobody was more shocked than I to hear that. Uh, He told me on that Friday that he planned to confess to his boss... On the following Monday, which he did, gave me the financial records to the church, he had been our treasurer, and that was on a Friday, and on the Sunday, two days later, he stood in front of the congregation and confessed his sin. Glenn cooperated with the investigation, pled guilty, served a prison sentence, and has been released back into society, he is uh, completely done with his uh, legal obligation, Uh, and he is paying restitution according to the agreements the government has made with him. Now, some of you are here for the first time in our church today, and you're going, whoa, (laughs) what kind of preacher is this? Why is he talking about Glenn like this? Am I going to have to get up there someday? That's what you're really thinking about. What Glenn and I are going to do today is one way, not the way, but one way to allow him to clearly communicate his repentance. God never talks about punishment for Christians. I know when we use the word discipline of the Lord, sometimes we confuse that because Some people in their own families think that spanking is a punishment or a payment for the wrongdoing of the child, and it is not. Physical punishment of children or any other kind of punishment, uh, as we would, well, we shouldn't call it punishment. Uh, My daughter uh, in eastern Washington calls it reminders. (laughs) Do you want a reminder? No. No. We don't punish people for sin as a church, Um, but those who choose to join the church submit themselves to the accountability of the body of Christ, which is a godly thing. It's not something we invented. It's not something the First Baptist Church of Ferndale invented. God wants us to hold each other accountable. I I have a brother in the Lord who has served the Lord in a foreign field for many years and a month ago I found out he has not been right with the Lord and I set about holding him accountable because he is my brother in the Lord. I'm not his boss. I have no authority over him. (laughs) He's my brother in the Lord. And so we have a responsibility that way and as a church we uh, attempt to live that out. Now, Glenn confessed his sin. Do we need to uh, add insult to injury, drag him through the mud, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? No. No. But when Glenn confessed his sin to the church, he did not have the ability to speak freely because of the legal proceedings, and he did not have the perspective of time to grow in the Lord and to really grasp what had gone on in his life. Now, I know Glenn, and Glenn knows me, and so I'm going to say a lot of things today, and he's going to understand it, and you have to understand that he's going to understand it. Everybody confesses when they get caught. Okay? But with the perspective of time, both he and us have a chance to see if that was real. And that's important. It's important because we don't want him to fall into sin again. And it's important for the second reason, which is this. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. And of course, we don't need to, we don't need to rebuke Glenn, as this next verse says, but part of it we do need to do. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest also may fear. We don't need to rebuke Glenn. He confessed. He repented. He has changed. And he's going to express that today. But you know what? You need to fear. You do. And we'll read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers, that's talking about Israel. This is Paul talking to his Jewish friends, saying all of our our forebears in the nation of Israel in what we call the Old Testament... I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses and in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink for they drank that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. That, that demonstrates that he wasn't pleased with them. Now these things became Our examples. To the intent, the purpose, that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And we should not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That's talking about an orgy. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day 23,000 fell. Let us not tempt Christ as some of them tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Let us not complain as some of them complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all of these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore... Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. That's why we're doing what we're doing today. When Glenn stood up and confessed his sin, people cried. And nobody said it out loud, but everybody seemed to think, Whoa, if Glenn can fall into sin, what about the rest of us? And that's why we're preaching this sermon today. I appreciate Glenn's willingness to do this I know it is a humbling thing I know that the only difference between Glenn's life and what happens to all of us is the size and nature of sin Glenn's sin was huge and public yours may be small and private but it doesn't matter the progression Or the progress, the cycle of sin is the same. And we want to talk about that. And we want to talk about protecting ourselves from sin. And so I've asked Glenn to to just share his story. We did not script this. We talked about it in kind of broad terms. But uh, he's going to share his story. And then as I preach, I'm going to ask questions, make references. And when we're done... You're willing to follow up. You're, you're welcome to follow up and to ask other questions. You're especially welcome to come up to Glenn and say, Glenn, would you help me? Because more than anything, he wants to help people walk as disciples. Glenn, come share your story, brother. You got your mic on?
1: Yes. Okay. I think so. Okay. Yeah. You know, I've been looking uh, to this day for three years almost, getting up in front of you and sharing, uh, let me just check, light on,
0: you have (laughs) signal, hang on a minute, more, gain it up,
1: (laughs) always a sound man. I'm not going to miss this one. Never is. I remember that dinner, but I don't remember the wine. Uh, (laughs) uh, You are wonderful people. I love you very much. And um, you're a big part of my life, our lives. When I was at Monroe for two years, I contemplated what I would say to you because um, it's important. God put me in a place and has brought me to a place uh, where I feel like my whole purpose is to glorify him with my life. And really, that's what he asks of every one of us. And we get into a spot, we get ourselves into a spot where we don't do that. We really can't live one foot in heaven and one foot in hell. It does not work. We can't live for Christ one day, Sunday for two hours, and the rest of the week omit him from our lives. I did that for a long time. I was willing to do whatever it took to maintain a lifestyle or even... Not necessarily just a lifestyle, but to uh, but pridefully think that I could uh, uh, sin, steal from my employer, and still have God accept my service for him here. And he'll do that. He did that for me for a long time. And, uh, but you know what? He'll only give you so much rope. And then a the, uh, time will come when, um, when he'll, he'll stop. He'll stop you from what you're doing. And he did that for me. And I thank him for that. Uh, I used to take uh, uh, anxiety medicine. And <clears throat> when I got uh, into prison, DOC does not like to have any uh, narcotics in the cells there. They just frown on that. you know I didn't ask you how long I had you talk till you're done brother is this going to be one of those 15 point um, no (laughs) I don't have 15 points (laughs) I won't take too long I I tend to ramble sometimes but uh, anyway I used to take that medicine because in my heart I knew that my life was a mess And uh, even though all the blessings that he uh, gave me, Mm. uh, I still knew that. And so I had a lot of uh, physical problems uh, because of that. And so I took uh, uh, anxiety medicine, which was a a very uh, weak narcotic. But I went off of that when I got into prison. And you know, I never had any problems uh, in prison with any of the physical things that go along with anxiety or stress. And uh, that's all the Lord. And I think it's because that he took all that stuff that was weighing down on me, the sin that was weighing on me, and took it away. Hmm. Now, that doesn't take away the results of your sin. That doesn't take away the, the penalty of it, the civil penalties, the the penalty of of having to go to prison, the penalty of all the hurt that you cause, not only to your own family, your wife, your children, but your church family. And and I know I hurt a lot of people with my actions, but um, he is so faithful. He is so faithful. And uh, I just hope through this time here and all the rest of the time that he gives us together that that we're able to go on for him in a way that just magnifies his glory. Uh, We have such a wonderful God, such a loving God, and that he would allow me to to do what I did and then use me in such a wonderful way, bless me in so many ways. After I uh, uh, confessed to my boss that I had uh, stolen from them, and that I went through all this stuff involved with uh, seven months of of just waiting for um, the court process and to be sentenced. And then that day in, on August 11th, when I had to leave my wife and my family and my good friends and my church, and uh, be lowered to a place of really. Um, Really, they don't think too much of you when you're inside. They used to call you inmates, now they call you an offender. And everything that they do at DOC, and I understand it, I, I understand why this happens in, in the way that they operate, is that everything is kind of a punishment. The people that you have to be with, the separation from your family, the, the places that you have to live, the people that you have to be with, even the food that they feed you. Uh, we don't call it real food. It wasn't real food, but um, it keeps you alive. All those things are part of the punishment, and I understand that, and, and it'll never be over. The part, some of the punishments will never be over for, for us. I say us because my wife has to deal with all the stuff that, that comes my way. And uh, because of the restitution, the fact that you'll always be a felon in some people's eyes and uh, legally. But all that is behind me because the moment I stepped, uh, e- even before, we had committed our lives to Christ completely. Whatever his will was in our life, however he could use us, however he could use this situation. And uh, and cause us to be a difference in people's lives. Now I know Kathy is because um, when I was in at Monroe, she would come to visit and visit uh, once in a while, every two weeks or so. And if I knew somebody in the room, which I did quite a bit because the church there is pretty pretty big, um, she would. Completely illegally walk over to them and say hello. Because you're not supposed to go to different tables. You're supposed to stay right where you're visiting, but she never did that. She, she would say, Oh, is that Mark? I'm going to go say hi to Mark. And, uh, or HR, or Brother Love, or somebody that. You will not believe the nicknames in this place. <laughs> Everybody has. Nick, to, what was your nickname? Yeah. You know, I had one for just a couple days at at County. I was at County for five days. Worst five days of my life. Just don't ever go to jail. Don't ever... I mean, don't even... You know, if you don't remember anything else from today's sermon, that would be a good one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, if you're doing something that might get you, stop right now. Because there's nothing... Good about it, absolutely nothing and uh, county is absolutely the worst place you can be the county jail. They do the best they can, I'm sure, with the money they have, but it's awful and uh, it actually got better from then on. Can you imagine and um, <laughs> oh, I was what well, we were talking about a nickname they called me pops there at <laughs> at the county, and I told them I didn't want a nickname and that stopped. I didn't really have a nickname uh, except I was called Pastor when I got to Monroe. That's a great nickname to have. I will go over all this stuff. God has blessed me in so many ways. I have 11 different roommates or they call them sellies. And uh, 11 different ones. And I've seen the sally from hell. I, I can tell you that. But I never had one. A lot of people did. I never had one. They were all different guys, different colors, different races, different religious backgrounds. Terrible things they've done, many of them. But they all treated me with consideration and respect. Because the moment I stepped into prison, I continued a life that I had been living for the seven months before that. And that is being in God's word constantly, praying, fellowshipping with others, and not being afraid to do that in front of others. One thing I learned when I was at Monroe, when, you, when I got to Monroe, you go to, you go to Shelton first, it's a reception center, and it's, a, it's just like a prison that we'd see on TV with the bars and the one-inch mattresses and the toilets in the cell. That was really hard to get used to. And, um, but you can get used to anything but God can glorify himself in every circumstance even sitting in a prison cell when I walked into my cell at Shelton um, there was this little Mexican guy, cute little guy he didn't speak a word of English I didn't speak a word of Spanish we had the best time together when I walked in, I started to make my bed. So I had no idea how to make a jailhouse bed. There's a, there's a technique to it so that the sheet doesn't fall off and stuff. You've got to tie it up underneath and all that stuff. I started to make my bed, and he goes, no, wrong. That wrong, I make. <laughs> <laughs> so I made my bed, and, uh, and I learned how to do it. We used to sit there and not know what each other was saying, and we'd laugh. We'd laugh about stuff. Kind of like you, Kathy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was a great guy. He was uh, due to be deported. He didn't. They gave him a bunch of paperwork. He couldn't read it, so I read it and I, I told him what he said. I don't know if he knew what I was saying. <laughs> My next cellie, when I got uh, in a different unit there, Sheldon was. Uh, um, uh, he was. Hispanic, and he was the leader of the uh, Norteño, the, one of the gangs, of one of the uh, Hispanic gangs. I learned about that stuff real quick. But he, uh, he was very kind to me. He scared me to death with some of his stories. I think he only did that to just see what, how I'd react. And we were only together five days, but um, by the end of the fifth day, he was starting to ask me about Bible verses. Wow. and. That just continued, I went to Monroe, which was absolutely the very best place I could be. It was a minimum security unit, it's called a camp. You're still in confinement, you still have to be uh, in your room or your cell. Um, When you first get there, you go into a dorm and you live with 40 other guys, it's just like a big barracks like situation. You all share the same bathroom. Lots of noises, lots of smells lots of bad language, lots of terrible conversation. And I would sit on my bunk and I would read my Bible or I would pray. Guys would walk by and they'd, start, they'd make fun of you to start with. But if you're consistent with your walk, he'll make a difference in your life. Guys would start to stop and ask me questions or they'd ask me to pray about something or they would just sit down and want to share. And... Uh, Monroe was the best place for me because they had a good, they had a good church there, a good group of believers, um, really great people coming in on ministry. And uh, there was something going on in the chapel there every day. There was either an open chapel where you could uh, come up and check out books or just be with other guys, or there was a Bible study or a service every single day. And... Uh, I was hoping that uh, everybody at Monroe is supposed to work. Yeah, there's about 450 guys, but there's only about 200 jobs. So, um, uh, you know, they say you're supposed to work, but a lot of people just lay around and sleep all the time. Well, one of the jobs there is to be a clerk in the chapel. And I was, uh, God just wonderfully worked it out so, so that I could be a clerk in the chapel. I started that job uh, in February of, 2012, and I had it up until I left. And um, so, as a clerk, you go to everything that they have there. You need to be, you need to be at the services and Bible studies in case they need anything, in the chapel. And uh, so, I saw it all. the The primary ministry coming in there, there's Pentecostal, charismatic churches, are really heavily involved in prison. And boy, that was a real eye opener for me. You know, I've always been a Baptist, and uh, you don't see many people raise their hands here during the service. Well, if you don't raise your hand in the services, there, you're you're kind of an oddball. And uh, and they and a lot of times the ministries that come in, they speak in tongues or they have healing services, and so um, don't worry, we're not going there. And, uh, <laughs> What I learned about that, though, was that that wasn't for me. That wasn't for me. That was not from scripture. That was more experiential spirituality rather than God-given in his word. And uh, so it was difficult for me, but I could look past that and see the hearts of the people coming in in ministry, wonderful people, men and women who come in there to serve the Lord and to reach out to these men because these guys need help. We had a, a really good group of guys in the church. About 450 in the camp. There were about 60 to 70 in the church. Guys who regularly come up to stuff there. And uh, and I wasn't there. I was there about six months. And the, the, they have a informal pastor. The, the church has... A, uh, all the ministries come in. They have to leave. But the men stay there. And so um, as part of the church there, they informally have we had elders and they have a, a pastor. Our pastor was a wonderful guy, a, a black man, tall, uh, very athletic, uh, knew, knew the word so well. His name was Mark McGowan. And uh, Mark was a great guy and he kind of mentored me. Uh, even though I didn't want him to, he did it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Mark was that kind of guy. He just was not going to take no for an answer. And he he showed me a letter he wrote to the ministry um, manager and that he was going to recommend me to be the new pastor when he left of the church there at Monroe. And I said, no way. I don't know what you're thinking. I can't preach. I... uh, I don't know the word like you do. And he says, well, do you have a heart for these men? I said, well, yeah, I do. I love these guys. They, they need to live for Christ. They need to glorify him with their lives. And he says, well, that's all they need. You're the guy. Well, it didn't convince me. But, uh, you know, all this to say that uh, God can use a circumstance like being in prison to build you up. He taught me a lot. And I, I decided that that's where God wanted me and that he wanted me to be the pastor. So uh, I was appointed the pastor, inmate pastor there. And the neat thing about that is that the guys there, they want to have a pastor. They want to have a man who's their guy. Hmm. Now, as this is the way it works and don't tell anybody. But the way it works is that nobody can cross units. You can't go, there are four units there. You can't go from D unit to C unit without special permission of the officer in your unit. But the pastor, the inmate pastor, is given a letter from the chaplain there who is a full-time staff guy that says that that you need, that as pastor, and of course they don't call you that, they call you the... uh, church liaison or something. You can go into any of the units at any time. So I could go down into A unit or B unit and see some guys there, see some of my guys, or take things down to them without the permission of anybody. I, I could just go. And What a blessing that is. Just what a blessing. We had a prayer meeting every night in every one of those units. Now, I couldn't go to the others at night, but I... In my own unit, we had a prayer meeting. Every one of those units had a prayer time. And they had to meet. You can't meet uh, informally. I mean, met informally, but you couldn't meet um, on your own. You had to be out where everybody could see you. So they had to meet in the day rooms. And the day rooms are just where everybody can go to watch TV, play cards, slam down dominoes, make all the racket. And uh, you'd go in the room about 9.30, you'd see this group of guys over in the corner praying. The noise was tremendous. And yet, Mark taught me this also. He said, when it gets too loud, you just turn and go over to one of the tables and say, listen, we're praying over here. Is there anything we can pray for you? (laughs) And every time they have something, it's something about their family, uh, their children, and then the, the noise level goes down. It's it's amazing. Wow. There's so many stories. There are yeah. so many stories, but suffice to say that uh, if you're willing to give God the glory for everything you do, not, not just this over here, <clears throat> and you take back all this. I mean everything. Think about... Think about how he's going to use a certain situation or how he can use you over here. One thing uh, I learned real quick as, a, as the pastor there is to go way outside my comfort zone. There's all sorts of races and groups and gangs and, in there. And uh, some of those guys are in the church. And they want to see in you what they expect from somebody that loves the Lord. They don't want to see any uh, any favoritism or racism. They want to see a genuine love for them because God's in your heart. And um, he taught me that. I, I, I met so many neat guys there. Hmm. The, the, the lesson that I... I did some preaching there, not a lot because I'm not much of a preacher. Pastor Dave wrote me every week. And every week he would send me his message notes, an outline. Some of them were kind of long. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to confess to you that I, I perjured some of his, uh, I mean, I took some of his stuff and uh, used it. Thank you very much. <laughs> And when I came past, became pastor, the guys didn't know it, but what they were going to was a good Baptist service every Sunday morning. Because we had we had a good service. The music there was great. We have great great musicians. You here. said you're
0: not a preacher, but yeah, you must have absorbed something out of those notes.
1: Because... <laughs> Did you have ask... anything to say?
0: I have a couple things. I'm done. I'm done. I think I'm going to have less to say now than I was before. But, <laughs> but now, Glenn has been saying something really significant, which is, all things work together for good yeah. to them who love God or called according to his purpose. Mm-hmm. Now, if you could turn the clock back, I guess it would be like 10 years ago now.
1: Yeah.
0: Would you have avoided all of
1: this? Oh. Probably so, but would he, have, would he have built me up and matured right. me like he has?
0: You're glad, for, you're glad for what God has done. And yet, maybe there would have been an even better way for God to do it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> a less painful way.
0: That's right. And that's what I want to talk about yeah.
1: for just a few minutes. Okay. So, thank you, Glenn.
0: <clears throat> Turn with me to James chapter 1. I've written, I've communicated with, let's put it that way, with uh, several people while they've been in prison. And uh, Glenn certainly demonstrated his surrender to the Lord just in the things that we talked about, the the ways that he lived. And um, I appreciate I'm going to say something Just might be a little bit paradoxical if you listen to it. I appreciate the mature way in which he has dealt with his sin. You know, when you fall into sin, you can handle it immaturely or maturely. Glenn came to a point, took him a while. Okay? But I think we all understand it would be better if we could have that kind of maturity without the difficulty. And I believe that we can... And what I want to sh- talk with you about t- today is stopping the cycle of sin. Um, Glenn, you, you made some choices, and then you kept making some choices for seven years. Okay? We all do that. Maybe some of us, it's seven minutes, or 70 minutes, or seven days, or seven weeks, i spent some time with a fellow yesterday that's been compromising his christianity for fifteen years okay i want to encourage you today in some ways to help stop that Um, in james chapter one we read this verse 13 let no one say when he is tempted i am tempted by god for god cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone each one is tempted When he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. When we think about sin and saying no to sin, it starts with recognizing that sin comes from our own desires. Nobody makes you sin. Certainly the world tempts you through many things, But the real nature of sin is that sin starts with our own desires. And, you know, the the Bible breaks down sin in in many ways, but I want to break it down in in a little different way today. And I want to define sin in three ways. There's three categories of sin. First of all, there's some things I cannot have ever. Sex outside of marriage is always wrong. Stealing is always wrong. Cheating at school is always wrong. There are some things that we want for one reason or another that will always be wrong. And we have to come to grips with that and say there are some stuff that I may desire that is wrong. It will never be right. But there are also some things that I cannot have now. Some things I cannot have now. God has ordained for you to have sexual fulfillment in marriage. If you are unmarried, it's not now. God has ordained that he's going to take care of our physical needs. He most often does that in our society in our day through work and those normal means. That is God's ordained way. You know, someday you might be a wealthy person, but you are not a wealthy person now someday you i can remember as a kid you know reading the, way before the internet reading the sears roebuck catalog man there was some stuff i wanted but i didn't have a job now you know if i had a sears roebuck catalog i'd just open that dude up and say i'm getting that <laughs> there's some other questions i'd have to answer about that but some things i cannot have now And some things I cannot have in the way that I want them. Some things I cannot have in the way that I want them. For instance, marriage is a godly thing, but not to an unbeliever. I may want to be married to an unbeliever because I've fallen in love with a person. That does not make it right. I cannot have it like this. God says you can have marriage, but a believer. God says you can be wealthy, but not if it's the goal of your life. He says those who who love riches, fall into many hurts. Um, We can have the respect of people, but not if it's an idol that we pursue. You see, there are some things that may be of God, and we may get them in time, but we have to wait and get them in a godly way. How do you protect yourself from your own desires? You protect yourself from your own desires by honestly saying, God, today it is my goal to live for you. I I know this verse is common. I I know we talk about it a lot, and we should. And sometimes things that are common become run-of-the-mill, and we don't take them seriously. But we have to get up in the morning and say, what is the goal of my life today? Is it my own pleasure? Is the goal of my life today to get respect from people? Is the goal of my life today to whatever or is the goal of my life today to eat and drink and do all that i do in a way that honors the lord because if it is there are some things you won't do and some things you will do number two in the cycle of sin sin goes from desire to delight and We understand from the life of Moses this little principle. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. The passing pleasures of sin. Sin is pleasurable. Too much food still tastes good going down. I'm kind of an expert there. Sinful sex still generates those good hormones and intimacy. The things that you bought when you couldn't afford it were fun for a while. The relationship that you should not have will still be exciting when it starts. How do you protect yourself from the delight of sin? First of all, you need to, or or, or overall, you need to trust the authorities God has put in your life. And the first one is God through his word. This is a point of faith. You know the little verse that's repeated over and over throughout the Bible, the just shall live by faith? This is a big point to live by faith. When God says this is wrong and this is right, you have to say yes. Do you understand it? No. Do you like it? Maybe not. Do you feel it? Probably not. You have to say yes. Now this is a major decision, and then it is a series of daily decisions. It's a major decision in which maybe you've been living your Christian life kind of for yourself, and you need to come to that point in your life where you say, God, I'm laying it down, I'm picking up the cross, I'm going to walk with you. And that's an important decision to make if you've been living in that selfish kind of way. But then even after you make that decision, it's every day and it's every hour and it's every minute. Oh, God, help me to do the right thing. Oh, God, I'm I'm having a challenge here. And it's a daily, daily, daily consecration of your will to him. Because when you don't, you follow your own impulses, which goes into sin. Number two, the authorities in your life are your parents. Now I'm going to make points with the parents and not with the kids, but I'm going to say it anyway. You ought to obey your parents because you don't know what you don't know. And as a matter of fact, your parents don't know what they don't know. And now I've really become profound or stupid. (laughs) Here's the deal. When God puts it in your parents to say no, they may not fully understand everything they just said no to. They don't know what's going to happen in your life five hours down the road and five miles from home. They don't know. But they just said no. And if you will take them seriously, what you get is the protection of God. And that's what you're after. That's why we obey the Bible. We don't obey the Bible just because, well, that's right and other stuff is wrong. We obey it in part because, hey, God knows what's best for me. I don't think your parents are perfect. I don't think they make the best or only judgments that could be made all the time. You know why I think that? Because they're human. And they haven't seen Jesus yet, so they aren't perfected. But I know that God works through them. And so we need to listen to parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Do it in the Lord. Don't do it because your parents are perfect or great. Do it in the Lord. And God will protect you. Now, uh, all of you that were saying amen a minute ago are not going to like this next one. Trust the spiritual leaders in your life. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls. As those who must give an account, let them do it with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. I don't have a perfect judgment for everything in your life. I know that. And, and neither does, does Chuck or Jim or Chet or whoever is your Sunday school teacher. I know that we don't have perfect judgment, but you know what I know for me, and I'm pretty sure I can say this for the other three elders, that we are looking out for what is God's best for you. And if we take God's word and say, look, brother, sister, you're getting in a dangerous zone. You need to say, God put this person in my life. Not that this person is so great, but God put them here and God said I should listen to them. Part of that is right here today, right now. What more can I say about sin but that it ruins your life and then God has to recreate it. Can you go out of here today and say, "Ah, oh, I can get away with it, it don't matter, nothing will happen to me. It happened to him, and this guy was more careful than most. I don't know how, I don't, I don't know any other way to say it except that don't live in sin. Don't get close to it. Don't try to straddle the line. Now, if you're going to listen to the authorities God put in your life, you've got to humble yourself. If Glenn had come back when whatever the things were that got him off track and said, Dave, I've messed up, man, that would have been a humbling thing. That would have been an embarrassing thing. And it would have changed the course of his life for good. When we give in to the delight of sin, what we reap is disgust. What do I mean by disgust? I mean that the Christian who sins feels guilty. This is the lie and the myth of sin that you've got to get a hold of. Sin says this will make you feel good. But if you are a believer in Christ, the good thing only lasts for a little while and immediately the Holy Spirit is going, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And you end up on anti-anxiety drugs. Okay. And I'm not, I'm not blanket criticizing everybody on anxiety drugs. Don't get me wrong here. You can confess your sin, or you can medicate yourself. Did the medication bring you joy? Not very much. Not very much. It took the edge off of the anxiety. Okay? Sin promises big time and delivers nothing. And yet, what you reap is God going, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And you're going, oh, doggone it. And you're disgusted with yourself. The Bible says this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When He has come, He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. There is no worse place for a Christian to be than in sin... Because a believer can't enjoy sin and he can't enjoy the Lord. You have taken a a true believer is always guilty when they live in sin, but it's as though you're letting go of God and distancing yourself from God, so you're not enjoying the Lord. The brother that I talked to yesterday has been 15 years without the joy of the Lord. Oh, God. Boy, I don't want that for me or you or anybody. One of the greatest protections against sin is guilt. When you feel guilty, take pay attention. Pay attention to when you feel guilty. When you feel guilty, you probably are. I know that I am. And when you feel guilty, this is what you need to do. Confess your sin. The word confess means to agree with God. That means God said this is wrong, I say this is wrong. And if we do it, he cleanses us, and the guilt goes away, and the sin goes away. Now, there may be ramifications to our sin, as, as Glenn said. He said, you know, he's right with the Lord, and he's living in the joy of the Lord, but now he's dealing with the results of the sinful choices that he made. But if we would walk with the Lord up front, we could maintain that joy and peace without the ruin. And let me just give you one, if you're taking notes, put this little phrase down. Confess the first sin. You know what the difference between confessing the first sin and the 40th sin is? The quantity of ruin in your life. Because if you, let's imagine I'm I'm, I'm hiking on the North Cascade Trail. And at at one point, I say, you know, here is the trail, but I think I'd like to go over here. And when I get over here, I say, you know what, I think that is the right path. And so I'm going to go here, and I'm going to go here, and I'm going to take 40 steps. And then I'm going to go, how did I get here? But if I had taken only one step and then went, oh, this is wrong, I get right back on and there's no ruin, virtually no ruin in my life. Sin starts with desire, promises delight, gives us disgust, and produces delusion. Delusion. Solomon described the delusion of sin. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes those who linger over wine those who go to sample bowls of mixed wine do not gaze at wine when it's red when it sparkles in the cup when it goes down smoothly in the end it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper your eyes will see strange things your mind imagine confusing things you will be like one sleeping on the high seas lying on top of the rigging they hit me you will say but i am not hurt they beat me but i don't feel it when will i wake up so i can find another drink is that the most picturesque piece of scripture you ever seen? That's incredible. I just need another drink. This is what I need. I saw a guy passed out so dead on the floor. He wasn't dead, but he was passed out that way. that They had to call the fire department, me and my friends. And, and, and his friends are standing around him literally saying, Oh, just give him another beer. He'll be okay. I don't think so. This is the first of the delusions of sin. I feel bad now, but a little more sin will fix it. I feel bad now. Do you know why you feel bad now? Because you sinned and the Holy Spirit made you guilty. And so what you're saying is, I know I feel bad now, but I'm pretty sure if I do some more sin, I'll feel better. If the Holy Spirit made you guilty the first time, He'll make you guilty-er the second time. And this leads right into. A really important point. I know this is wrong, but righteousness will hurt more. How long, Glenn, were you into this sinful pattern until you started to think, I'm trapped? Not very long. long. Because of the nature of what you did, you immediately incurred what you knew would be legal ramifications to your sin. That doesn't happen to all of us. Most of our sin, nobody's going to come around and arrest us for it. Okay, But you're trapped. And as you look forward, why didn't you just say, I have to stop this? Got in too deep. Got in, too deep. in your own mind. I'm in too deep. There's no way out. I'm just going to keep going. Many people that I talk to who are in a crisis of one sort or another They have a sense of what the right thing to do is, but as they look forward to the right thing, they go, that'll just be too painful. Now, let me just flip this upside down and say say it this way. So what you're telling me is an ongoing life of sin is gonna be a more desirable choice to the life of righteousness in which God promised joy and peace and and love and so on. And, And I hope you're saying, well, yeah, when you put it that way, it does sound a little different. It is painful. It's, it's, not, it's not hard to imagine that we can get to places in sin in which to get out of it is painful. It's like, wow, this is going to be hard to stop this. And it will be. And there will be sacrifices. And there may be, there may be some real difficulty that goes with it. But the life of righteousness is always a better choice. It always brings blessing. I know this is wrong, but righteousness will hurt more. And there's one more delusion to sin. And that is, I can manage my sin. I can manage my sin. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves as slaves to obey, that you are that one's slaves? Whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death, or of obedience leading to righteousness. You know what, what God is saying here? When you invest yourself in sin, you become a slave. Now, nobody, n- nobody that I know of starts the journey into sin and says, I'm about to become a slave of sin. In fact, they enter the journey saying, I can handle this. I know God says it's wrong, but... I had a, a, a friend down in Seattle... Who had a dog? It was a uh, kind of a medium sized German Shepherd type dog. The lady probably weighed 125 pounds, soaking wet maybe. And the dog was, I don't know, 60 pounds or so. And she had one of those leashes that goes in and out. You know, you push the button, you know. She's out walking her dog, and her dog saw a squirrel or something. And she, you know, she had, the, she had it set so that the dog's kind of coming in and out on the leash. And all of a sudden, the dog goes, Wang! And what do you suppose happened at the end of that leash? He tore her shoulder up. She had to have surgery to fix the thing. Because she was hanging on. Kind of, Wang! You know, folks, that's what sin's going to do to you. so I've got sin on a leash. No, you don't. Sin has you on a leash. How do you protect yourself from the delusions of sin? Observe reality honestly. Okay? Part of what we're trying to do here today is to say, this is the reality. Here's a really smart guy who did a... What's typically thought of as a smart crime. And he got caught. And it upended his life. You are going to beat that? Oh yeah, I'm way smarter than him. Somebody called me up one time and said, Hey, my, my son's going to be home from basic training in the military. and wants to get married. Will you marry him and his fiance? I said, well, tell him to come in and see me. We'll talk about it. And he came in and talked about their relationship up to this point and everything about it was sinful and foolish. Normal by the world's standards, but sinful and foolish. He had become a Christian during basic training, very clearly. She was not. Many other things were not right. And he told me in my branch of the military, the divorce rate is 80%. 80 80% percent. 80 percent of those who get married in that branch of the military get divorced. And I looked right at them, I said, and you're going to beat the odds? And they said, yep. Look at reality! Show me the sinner who is unscathed. Show me! Oh, I know there's some wicked people getting away with wickedness, I know that. But look a little deeper in their life. I'm going to stop. Stop. Because I want you to remember what I said, not endure the last half of it. And let me just conclude by saying this I'll, Lord willing, I'll pick this up maybe when I get back from having my tonsils out. What you saw here today is a guy who surrendered to the Lord. Okay? He didn't used to be, but he is now. Are you happy now? <laughs> Are you at peace? Yes, sir. When you go to bed at night, you go to sleep? Yes, sir. Do you need medication to do that? No. no, you don't. During those seven years of sin, was there a consistent joy in your life? No. Was there peace? No. Was there fear? Yeah. Don't let sin ruin your life. Come up and talk to Glenn today. Talk to me. Talk to one of the elders. Let us help you. Righteousness is where it's at. I don't know any other way to say it. (laughs) And that's what I want for you. Heavenly Father, help us not to be fooled by the evil one and the world in which we live help us to say no and to say yes in ways that honor you so that we can have your blessing i pray in christ's name amen